in ministry. Uh, I haven't been here as much as I've been uh, helping in a number of places and locations and churches, and so speaking out a little bit more. But uh, all in all, uh, the Lord's been very good and uh, amazing to see how the Lord is working and what the Lord has been doing. And so, as always, I can only share with you what God has been sharing with me. And so that's what I hope to do this morning. And as always, God is always challenging me. And uh, sometimes it's challenging, not in ways that I want or would ask for, but challenges I need. And so as Lauren mentioned at the beginning, I think we're in a season where the church is being challenged in so many ways. And part of that is COVID and part of that is circumstances uh, that surround us. Um, one of the things I want to share about this morning is something that we found ourselves as a church, uh, namely at Gabriola Island, where I've been pastoring these past few years, um, a challenge that's been been thrown to the forefront, and I'll explain why. Um, and it's in the news, and, and I hope, while there's a number of things that the Lord's kind of been um, putting across my heart, I hope that as the Lord can, he'll tie it all up and, and make it clear and and ultimately, the Lord will have his word and his way this morning. So one of those challenges that we've been facing, and one of these times I'm going to come and I'm not going to come alone. Yes, I will bring my celebrity family over here. But I would love to bring with me some of the, some of the personalities and the people that I get to rub elbows with across Vancouver Island in ministry. Um, one of those people is in our congregation. I haven't seen them for a while because of COVID. But a gentleman that attends our church is an 80-year-old, and I'm going to get this uh, wrong because I don't have the right words, but he is like an elder chief uh, to the First Nations. Um, he has his roots deep and is in the hierarchy of the eldership, and he has a wife whom uh, I just love, one of my favorite people, and I'll explain why. This elder chief, his name is David, and he is a man of very few words. I don't know if in part that's because he has no teeth left, but he says very little, but his heart speaks volumes. There'll be times when I'll stand up and share a message and afterwards he'll come and shake my hand and there will be a 10 or $20 bill in, in his hand. And I'll go, David, come on. And his wife will look at me with a stern rebuke and go, it's cultural. You'll take it. Like, and it's, this is who she is. He's a man of very few words. She is polar opposite. In fact, this is a woman, and and she wouldn't be shy in me telling you this. She came to the Lord. One day, she came and whispered in my ear, and I'm mingling after the service, and I'm picking up, back in the day when you could have tea and coffee, I'm picking something up, and she comes and whispers in my ear and says, I don't belong here. They're going to find out. And I said, what do you mean you don't belong here? She said, listen. I came to the Lord when the sun shone across the bars in my maximum security cell uh, and, and it made a cross on the wall. And I was in because I tried to shoot my husband because he did something wrong to our daughter. And, and then the story went on and I can't even begin to tell you the story because it's just her life, unbelievable what she's been through. But to give you a little idea of who she is, he's a man of very few words she has been given by some of the, the, the native leaders a, a, a name, which I believe means fireball or, or, or like tornado. Like she's just 
all in and in your face and just a wonderful person, but wears her heart on her sleeve. And at a time like we're experiencing now, we're in the news, we're seeing stories about residential schools and, and, um, these unmarked graves. And we're at a time when it's difficult for the church because here we're finding these horrifying actions that were done by people, some of which were doing it in the name of the church. That's not easy. These were people carrying our God's name and yet did horrific things. And it's interesting, the two different responses from David and his wife, Margaret. David, whom is the one who I would think should have anger and and hurt and all of these things. It's interesting, a conversation with Margaret recently, she said, David, why are we even going to church? It's time to throw this out. Like, and again, it was when just one more grave was found. And here's David's response. The Lord didn't do this. People did. Calm quiet, just wise, you know, and truly that elder mentality, no overreaction, but knowing it was the people who did it, not the God whom he serves and loves. And yet we're forced, right? Because we have both the fireball and then the the wise elder here to, to reckon with how much is done in God's name that God doesn't have anything to do with. How do you get there where, where you're a follower of Christ, right? And we can all look and say, well, it was this denomination or that following or this following. You're carrying the name of Christ and, and you can commit these things. How do we get there? Well, this morning, both a challenge and an encouragement and an invitation to rest. How do we get there? mindful of this. And uh, as of late, I've been going through First and Second Thessalonians, and I want you to hear these words in First Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'm going to read in verse 2, and then I'm going to carry down into chapter 2 and read a few more verses, and I want to share something with you that stood out to me. It says this in First Thessalonians 1 verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Constantly bearing mind your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know, what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake." For you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. It goes on and says in verse 8, The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. And again, you get this picture, sounded forth. It's like their actions created that ripple effect. Not even a word need be spoken. What they did spoke volumes of whom they served. It goes on in chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 9. It says, You recall, brethren, our labor of hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. 
You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly, uprightly, blamelessly we behave toward you as believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we are also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I want to stop there because there's two things that stood out. One is Paul's message to a young church in the midst of incredible trials, difficulties, there's suffering, there's persecution, and yet as he brings them back to the message that he taught them, there are two things there. One, Paul shares how it was they brought the message, the integrity by which they walked. That it was not of sordid gain, it was not by anything other than pure example of those walking in the Spirit of God. But there's something else that rings, and that is this. Verse 5 of chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The word came what? In power. And secondly, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, we constantly thank God when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Two things. One, when they received the message, what was it? A word of power. It was not empty words. It was not theology. It was not something that sounded good. It was a word that came with a life-transforming ability within it, in and of itself. Secondly, we read this, that it was a word which performs its work in what? You who believe. Where was Paul's faith? Not in his ability to convince, to mold, to shape, to make, but what? To believe that the word was what accomplished the work. This word is what performs its work in you. Here's the danger. How do you get to be the person that knows the name of Christ and yet does horrifying things and sometimes on behalf of Christ, justified in our own mind. It's when I remove myself from the fact that it's the word that performs the work. Here's what happens. The subtle transition from what God wanted to do for me to what now I'm expected to do for God. It's up to me to convince you. It's up to me to change you. It's up to me to transform you. And now I can justify acts of hate on behalf of a God of love, right? And we can crusade and kill anything that doesn't call on this God. And, and I, can, I can take all of these things, and when it's up to me, now I can justify words of hate, words of hurt. I can justify actions because the end justifies the means. And by all means... I'm going to make disciples for Christ. 
It's so easy to do. One of the f- my favorite people in scripture, Abraham. Why? Because he was messed up. <laughs> like messed up, just like me. He's the guy who, right, was told, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Genesis chapter 12. I want to bless you to be a blessing. I am going to keep you and I'm going to bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. I'm going to make you a father of a multitude. And yet, read on from chapter 12, and by the time we get to chapter 17, what do we find? It's been 10 years since the promise, and his wife comes and says, hey man, God's been a little slow. Maybe if you sleep with my maidservant, we'll have a child. They were promised a multitude. And now it became up to him. And how do we know Abraham believed it was up to him? Well, every time he went into a new country, a new situation, or found himself faced with a new leader, he felt his wife was so beautiful. He had to lie about her, right? (laughs) Tell them you're my sister. Otherwise, they'll kill me and they'll take you. He lied. He lied and they find themselves, his wife gets taken into another. And who comes to save the day? Not Abram. God, right? (laughs) Plague of boils. Second time, in a dream, right? Telling him, you're a dead man to Abimelech. I mean, here, Abram's running. And it's, it's like God put a call on his life. And listen, it's hard to bless a dead man. So as long as I can keep myself alive... I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get the glory. I'll be that blessing that God talked about. Well, every time he took things into his own hands, did things get better? No, worse. Every time. Wife taken. God has to intervene because it's hard to make a multitude through a couple when the wife's now taken from it. So God intervenes. And again, God intervenes. Listen to what Abram says when God finally comes in Genesis chapter 17. Again, words I need to remember often. God says to Abraham, verse 15 of Genesis 17, God said, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall call her name uh, not Sarai, but Sarah, for she shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abram fell on his face, laughed, and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What's he saying to God? Hey, God, why go to the trouble? I'm 100, she's 90, slightly impossible, but you overlooked one thing. I've already got a son. I've already got one. Oh, that Ishmael. What's he saying? Just bless my efforts. Bless my efforts. You know what? God's word? No. Verse 19, no, but Sarah Your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. But listen to this. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I will make him fruitful, multiply him exceedingly. He shall become a father of 12 princes. We read on that his hand is what? Going to be against his brothers, and his brother's hand against him. 
You see, there was always consequences to sin, but this sin came when they tried to take the things of God and what? Achieve them by the methods of man. And how often do I do that? I can recite to you the words in Galatians 3 that we know by God that no flesh is justified by the works of the law. And yet I go out my door and in this godless society, what? Try to, by law, force righteous behavior before introducing them to the righteous one. I... I try to achieve God's things in my way. And I can justify it. I can justify my words, my actions, my hurts, my hate, and all in the name of God to achieve what needs to be achieved. Do you know what today? Hebrews 4 just jumped off the page again this week. Probably life verses that I need to read. Listen to this. Therefore, Hebrews 4 verse 1, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we've had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we have believed Enter that rest. What's the writer to the Hebrews saying? There is an offer today of rest, and that promise remains today. And here's the danger. You can come short of it. Rest is resting in a word that performs its work. Here's unrest. (laughs) Doing all the work for God. Not restful. He goes on in Hebrews 4, verse 6, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. How? It says in verse 11, Let us be diligent to enter that rest so no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. What was the disobedience? That they heard the good news, but it did not profit them. Verse 2, Because it wasn't united in faith in those who heard it. They heard the word, but ultimately they didn't truly believe the word. I can tell you today that God's word is enough to perform God's work. But unless that's united by faith, unless you're going to believe it enough to trust it, you may never see it nor enter that rest. Today, we must believe, rest in the fact that God has got it. We muddy the waters when we try to achieve God's goals by our great way. God's always, you know, when I think, lucky to have me on his team. I've gone through a season and a time which God has just been blowing up my doors, reminding me how it's his word. And I want to just share, and I might have shared this with you last time, but it's been just coming to mind recently again. Uh, So I want to share it with you again, even if I hadn't or have. But there's times when I was 
so discouraged, right? Going through life and moments in which I feel like I failed. Um, never forget leaving a farm where there was a bad conversation. Again, I felt there was a time where there was a guy who, I, maybe he saw it on my Facebook page, but I was going to buy hay and he was poking and prodding and I could tell he wanted to pull something out of me. And it was like, I didn't want anything to do with it. He's like, hey, you're here by hay. That's great. And what do, you, uh, what, what do you do for a living? And I'd be like, oh, we live on a farm. Oh, and what else do you do? Oh, you know, I got this side gig, side hustle. We uh, install some mailboxes for Canada Post. Really, really. And what else do you do? And I was like, I, was, I had had a bad conversation previous. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going there. I don't want another bad conversation. And I, I, I'm just tired, fed up. Lord, make it go away, right? And then they're like, well, I might pastor a small church. Oh, really? Right? And up opens this conversation for better or for worse. Well, I felt worse because my heart wasn't there. And, and I was frustrated and tired. And I didn't want to go there. And I'll never forget about a year ago to the day I was leaving a, a church in Nanaimo after having preached. And I had my Sunday clothes on, a little more Sunday-ish than today, collared shirt. And I was headed to another man's house to buy some Baylor twine. And if there's anyone who's a loud, outspoken atheist, it's this one. If there's anyone who's going to give you a hard time, if there was anyone who I know who'd make me want to like, you know, and I started the debate in the car. Should I take off the collared shirt? I just don't want to poke the bear today. Like, again, I was tired. And here's what I said subtly in my heart. God, why do I always assume it's going to go badly? Why do I always assume you're not there? Why, do, why is my assumption that I'm going to be rejected by an atheist and not that today you've prepared an atheist's heart for your word? And do you know what I said in my heart? Thank you, Lord, because today I'm going and I'm trusting that you've gone before me. And here's what happened. I got out of my car, collared shirt. He was cleaning hay equipment and any farmer, if you are a farmer, you don't watch another farmer. You roll up your sleeve, Sunday clothes or not, and you start help cleaning the hay equipment. And what I realized quickly is that he was doing it with his young daughter. And so as their prayer, I, I was there and he sa I said, hey, I'll get you your stuff, but we're just cleaning up. My daughter's got to go do a field over here. And I said, great, I'll help. Let's get it done. And as we start cleaning the hay equipment, here's what the father says. Honey, you should ask Steve. He's a spiritual guy. And I was like, oh no, here we go. And do you know what happened next? I said, well, what? I said, I don't know if I'm a spiritual guy, but I believe in God. What, what do you want to, what do you, what's your question? And here's this young 20 something girl who says, listen, I got married at a young age. I've got two young boys and their father died. I'm a young widow. And here's what's happened. He grew up in the prairies and his grandparents, he was a believer. I'm not. His grandparents have been pressuring me to baptize my kids so that they will see their dad in heaven when they die. She feels it's only fair that they get baptized so that they see their dad. And I said, oh man. I said, I said, one, 
I am so sorry you've been put under that kind of pressure. I said, listen, baptism is an outward declaration. It's only a symbol of an inward change of heart. And she proceeded to say, listen, I jump in the lake all the time. Can't I just jump in the water? And I said, listen, you're not getting it. I said, well, I didn't say you're not getting it. You'll laugh when I tell you this. I said, no, no, no. Baptism is only an outward symbol, dead to the old man, alive to God. And at one point, as she persisted, the atheist father turned to her and said, listen, honey, you're not understanding. He's saying that it's a symbol of a change of heart. (laughs) Do you believe it? And I got back in my car after that and I gave her my phone number and said, hey, if you ever want to write, if you ever have a question, no judgment. Right, but don't be judged. It's not the baptism that gets your son in. It's a relationship with God. And God isn't found in the walls of a church. He's found in the depth of your heart and spirit and truth. The word that what? Performs. Why don't I go into each and every situation resting in the fact that God has already gone before me? Here's when I become one of those who misses the mark, when the pressure becomes on me to perform it for God. Right? When I feel the stress to grow the church and put more people in the pew and get more people to give, is that my stress? No. No, I'm resting in the fact That God's word does God's work. I do not need to manipulate, hate, malign, make or manifest anything that the Lord can't do on his own. I remain available. I love, as we're reading in 1 Thessalonians, how Paul finishes the letter in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. Listen to this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. That means set you apart for a purpose. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now listen to this, verse 24, 1 Thessalonians 5. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Isn't that great? Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Some translations say, faithful is he who calls you, and he will do it. Today, do you believe in a God who's doing it? Have you let go of what you can do for God in order to know what God longs to do for you? But what did we read in Hebrews 4? You won't know it until you're ready to absolutely trust it. You'll never know that you can walk on water until you get out of the boat. With Joshua on Thetis Island, that was often our test, we said, would be of ultimate spirituality after Bible school, is those that truly passed would not take the ferry, but would walk on the water across to Shemanus. You'll never know that you can walk on water until you take that step out of the boat. You'll never know what God can do until you trust him to know that he will do what his word said he would do. And the more you do it yourself and try to do it for God by yourself, 
not better, <laughs> worse. God's faithful. He has a great ability to pick us up, set us back on the path. <laughs> faithful, even when we are unfaithful. But today, an invitation to rest in the word that accomplishes what the word has set out to do. A warning, what? To miss the mark when we put our faith in ourself. And now think we need to make people into his righteousness rather than lead them to the righteous one through whom they become righteous. I was challenged recently being reminded of this as I often wrestle with where my faith meets my politics, right? So easy to stand outside of something like an abortion clinic and say, pro-life, don't go through with the abortion. Easy to tell people not to do it. Outlaw killing a child, right? It's easy to legislate that right behavior. Much harder to display the heart Easy to pick up a sign and shout, don't do it. Be righteous. Much harder to what? Offer to take that woman into your home. Take on the cost of raising that child, of feeding, of working. Do do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) To display God's love and righteousness to that person. To walk with them in the midst of difficulty. Not just tell them what they should be in the midst of their difficulty. No one is justified by the works of the law. But every man shall live by faith before the Lord. Today, where does your faith lie? I trust that as we go out into the world today, we would be mindful that his word is at work. We are merely coming alongside in what he's already doing. Not doing for him being available as an open vessel to be filled with a surpassing greatness so that the world might see who he is. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your difficulty, whether it's financial, relational, circumstantial, today do you believe in a word that is at work? Have you come to a point in place where you are ready to rest? Hebrews 4 We can hear it, we can intellectually know it, but we can walk all our days not profiting from it if we refuse to believe in it. God's got it. And today we join a faithful God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that faithful is he who calls you and will bring it to pass. You are in the work of doing for us what often we long to do for you. Thank you that today you are a righteous king and we pray for your forgiveness where we have become those who have muddied the waters and made worse by our human efforts to try and do for you these great things. May we be mindful today of your love in your life, of your glorious grace, that we can rest even today when it seems like there may be no hope. Hope is right there. Thank you that today you are faithful even when we are faithless. Thank you that when our eyes 
seem to be distracted and fall to ourselves and off of you, that you have never taken your gaze off of our situation. Thank you that your eyes are constantly moving to and fro to support those whose heart is wholly yours. And I just pray that we would leave mindful of that very fact, that our hearts would be yours. May our actions come out of pure hearts. Not try to make pure hearts by disciplining the outward action. Thank you for your goodness today, Lord. Thank you for your righteousness. And thank you that you perform what you set out to do because you are faithful. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.